Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we start this new series we call God With Us. Another way I could have called it would be Emmanuel, because it means the same thing. Um, God with us brings hope. Uh, he brings peace. He brings joy. He brings love. Those, by the way, are the candles. And uh, we're going to end with the white one at the end, which is the Christ candle. But today we're going to talk a little bit about hope. Now, Advent is a season of hope. In fact, the word Advent comes from a Latin term, advenire, which means to, to come or to arrive. And the season is always kind of marked with a sense of anticipation. Now, if you're a little kid, this means, oh, it's Advent. It means Christmas is coming pretty soon. And so they begin to anticipate that. Now, they need to be educated to understand what they're going to anticipate that's going to come that's really more important than a whole bunch of stuff that's going to break in three or four months. And that is Jesus who lives forever. But this is a season talked about waiting, anticipation, and the longing for Jesus to come back again. And Advent is really a season that links the past, the present, and the future. It looks back on this longing that was finally fulfilled after 4,000 years when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, while at the same time we're on the other side of it now in 2022, and we're anticipating the second coming of Christ whenever that's going to happen. See, now Christmas is a, a wonderful time of the year. I've been accused of being a Scrooge from time to time uh, about it because sometimes I get so caught up in the whole Christmas thing and the Advent thing that I have to step back and remind myself Christmas really is a wonderful time for Christians. But to really understand Christmas, and I'm going to suggest this, but you can disagree, but I don't think you can adequately fully understand Christmas until you start at the very beginning. And the journey of hope begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's back then that God created this world to be in a perfect relationship with him. In the beginning, Adam and Eve walked freely back and forth. I mean, can you imagine standing under the trees in a beautiful garden and talking to God every evening when he came strolling through the garden? I can't think of anything better, although I'm looking forward to doing that again someday. He was with us back then. We enjoyed a wholeness and intimacy with God. But you know, it didn't last forever. You know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve chose sin, which did what? It divided us from God. The result was brokenness that entered this world. And that's kind of the theme of restore. Lots of brokenness that needs to be restored. Uh, but God always has a plan. Uh, scripture tells us elsewhere that the serpent, the snake, Satan, uh, would strike man's heel, and he does, and yet his head is going to be crushed. And throughout the Bible, we see God's plan of hope, if you will, unfolding, and we see hope coming out of pain and defeat. And we see this, first of all, in, in uh, God's covenant with Abraham. So we're going to start way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. He tells Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And that must have been, been surprising because he didn't have any kids yet. But I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham probably said, whoa, that's pretty cool. When's that going to happen? Well, generations passed, uh, centuries passed. 
uh, we see that Israel began to grow a little bit impatient. Where is the answer to this promise that was made to Abraham? And so you, you read a lot in the Old Testament where people said, how long, O Lord? That was kind of the battle cry of this nation. And so from the time of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob moving forward to the days of uh, David and then Elijah and Elisha, there, were, there was kind of a, a cycle that people went through. It was kind of like they were devoted to God and then they neglected God. Or if you want to read something interesting, go back and read the book of Judges. And Judges goes through, I don't know, 12 or 13 cycles of sin, judgment, grace. Sin, judgment, grace. Over and over. But again, is that not unlike our lives as well at times? Sin, God lays the hammer down, but then he offers grace. There was prosperity during those times. There was a recession during those times. There was feast and famine. Uh, There was pleasure and pain. And the Hebrew people were not a whole lot different than the people of Branson and Hollister. When things got good, guess what? We could kind of slide God off to the side burner for a while. And when things get really bad, we go, we hunt for him and we bring him back and put him in the middle of our table with our advent wreath. And we suddenly cry out for God's help one more time. Now, through all of this Old Testament history, there was a deep and uh, ongoing longing for God to fulfill his covenant, to fulfill his promises. People are like, Lord, how long is it going to take for you to do what you told us you were going to do? Now, this wasn't just that happy little idea that kind of drifted in and out of the Israelites' consciousness or their culture. This was a deep hope the people in the Old Testament had that sustained them and encouraged them, especially during thousands of years of turmoil and uncertain waiting. But then along comes another guy. In the midst of this long journey of hope, Isaiah shows up. Now, he is called the year that King Uzziah died, which was a terrible time in Israel's history. Isaiah then warned that things were going to get not better. He came and said, oh, by the way, things are going to get a whole lot worse before they finally get better. He told the people that a foreign army was going to come in and destroy them and destroy the entire nation. But in the midst of doom and gloom, a message of hope was given 700 years before Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And he gave us those beautiful words that ring with hope from the, about the coming Messiah. And I'm going to repeat just one phrase that Blair has already read to you. It comes from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And people probably went, God's going to finally be with us. Well, can you imagine living in those days and hearing that after all of that history of suffering? Can you, can you imagine the hope that would just pop up into people's hearts? Now, I'm not sure that Isaiah fully understood exactly what he wrote down that God, the Spirit, told him to write down. Maybe on some level the message of a coming Messiah was understood, but he didn't have access to God's timeline. Do you ever notice how God never gives you a timeline? Is this the right time? Lord, when is this going to happen? I've been praying for this for 32 years or 78 years or, or however long you're going to do this. Now, he didn't know the timeline. All he knew was it was going to happen and the Messiah was going to come. 
Now, maybe Isaiah thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. We don't know. Perhaps he was wise enough to know that, well, God had been working for many generations to this point. But I have a feeling that those words filled him with hope. And God's promise that fueled Isaiah also fueled people for the next years and centuries. And this vision of God still fuels us with hope today. Now, throughout the exile, the eventual return of the nation from Israel uh, to the promised land, hope continued. They were conquered by the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. And then all of a sudden, we've made our way from Genesis 1 to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. And Malachi ends in chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And then nothing. That's how it ends. The Old Testament is like, when? When is this hope going to come? Now, how long? Well, they say roughly 400 years between Malachi and when the New Testament era starts. 400 years of silence. But then we read an interesting story about a guy by the name of Zechariah. He was a temple priest living in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke describes him as a very righteous person, a blameless person. He was a spiritual leader of his people. He would have been well acquainted with all of the prophecies all the way from the beginning, all the way to the end of Malachi. And uh, undoubtedly, he was looking forward to this Messiah one day, but he didn't know when. But one day as he was going about his priestly duties, well, we see these words here in Luke chapter 1. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are going to give him the name John He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what is God saying here? God's saying the one that was promised in the book of Malachi to prepare the way of the Messiah is going to happen. And guess what, Zechariah? He's going to be your little boy. Now, it was such a shock to Zechariah, I think, between seeing the angel of the Lord and having this thing that he was struck speechless uh, for, well, until the day John was born. Now, can, can you imagine being Zechariah just for a moment? I thought about this. I, suddenly I find out I'm going to have a son, and uh, he's going to be the one who is the forerunner to Jesus. And... And then suddenly being unable to talk and spend nine months and not being able to share that message with anybody. I mean, you'd think he'd be walking around like. Now, when I wrote this sermon, I got to this point. I actually made a mark in my notes when I first wrote it out. I I said, you know, if I was listening to this, I'd kind of wonder, what's your point now where you've been so far? What's the point? Well, there is a point, because, you know, in, in a way, what I'm taking you through so far is it's all nice. It's all great uh, for them. Thousands of years. But what about 2022? What about me? <laughs> what do I get out of this? And I kind of scribbled that in my notes and I thought well, I should I shouldn't write that in there. But after all, these people in the Old Testament, all these people that are waiting for so they weren't the ones who were suffering from cancer. These, their spouses just 
didn't just die. Uh, they weren't living through a pandemic. Uh, they didn't lose their job with no warning. Um, they didn't have the bills to pay that we have to pay or the debt stacking up or those kids or grandkids who expect several hundred dollars worth of Christmas presents. Uh, not to mention just having food on the table and gas in your car. But see, no matter what kind of problems or struggles you're facing right now, no matter what season of darkness you may be in, guess what? There's still hope. There's still hope. Hope is still alive, even in your deepest pain. Now, I have a teaching partner down in prison. And in the last week, her father fell in the house and they had to take him to the hospital where he kind of crushed a bone between the femur and the hip and is hospitalized. If she went to visit her father with her mom, her mom fell in the hospital and broke her hip. Both parents, near 90 years old, in the hospital. Now, in the midst of all of that, what do you say to somebody who's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? The only thing I could think of is God still has this. God's got this. Because he's a God of hope. I mean, that's the stuff he, he gives us. See, no matter what struggles we face, uh, no matter what kind of season of darkness we might be in, you know, I try to remind uh, her, don't abandon hope. Hope is still alive, even in our deepest pain. I don't know what pain you're going through now, the most hopeless of circumstances. Hope is alive because God is with us. Emmanuel is still here. How do we know that? How can we find a tiny spark of hope in this Advent season? Maybe if you've been actually tempted to kind of give up a little bit lately. Well, I think there are three ways, and this is really probably I'm finally getting around to my sermon. What are the three ways a person can experience hope? Well, here's the first one. Hope is based on God's word. It's plain and simple. We know God is with us because, well, you've got a Bible. Cheryl's got a Bible. There's where your hope is. You've got it in your hands. Now, you've got to open it up and read it, but hope is in your hands. Uh, there are, they're full of promises. I, at one time, I heard how many promises there were in the Bible, but I, I'm old enough, I, I'm, I can forget stuff like that. But it's, it's God's love letter to us. It's loaded with promises. The Bible is like a beacon of hope. Uh, there are reminders that, that penetrate our hearts when we read them. Uh, it penetrates our spirits and assures us that no matter what we face, no matter how bleak tomorrow looks, no matter how bad the pain, God will never, ever, ever, never leave us. Look at Psalm 139. This is a great section of scripture, too. Well, it's all great sections. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I don't know about you, but I, I can feel hope in those words. God with us, Emmanuel means he will always be with us, 
and nothing can take that away. We can't go anywhere to get away from the God of hope. See, Scripture is just loaded with stories and words and promises that rekindle kind of a supernatural hope within us. It's amazing to me after, I don't know, 38 years now of being a pastor and, you know, 18 years of teaching, you know, high school kids and junior high kids and taking them through Scripture, uh, how often we struggle because we don't take the one tool in our hand that we've had with us probably since confirmation days and baptism days, and that's called the Bible, God's Word. It used to be, Mr. Kolb, Mr. Kolb, what do you think? Oh, Pastor Kolb, Pastor Kolb, what do you think? Dr. Kolb, Dr. Kolb, what do you think? <laughs> I think, well, I'll tell you what I think. I think you need to read your scriptures. <laughs> now, I'm going to help you do that. But you want answers? Go to the, the book of Answers. Uh, as we go through this season of Advent, I just want to encourage you to dig deep into the Word. Uh, I don't care where you start. You know, you've got, uh, starting the first, you've got a box full of stories about the people in Scripture at the Christmas story. Use that. See, God's always working among us. So he works through his Word. But here's the second thing. He, it, hope is based on God's work as well. Everything we can see in creation all around us. Um, and for what God has done in our lives tells us he's good. He's a good God. Our hope is based on the assurance of the character of God. Now we're going to take a look at a, a Bible story here in, in Mark chapter 5. It's a woman who had lost all hope. It says a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine hemorrhaging for 12 years? She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And guess what? You know, bleeding like that, she would have been an unclean woman. She wasn't supposed to be out in public with people. She wasn't supposed to be in crowds with people. She was not allowed in the synagogue with other people. I mean, this woman was cut off from society. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, picture this woman again. For 12 years, doctors had tried everything to help this woman and only succeeded in making things worse. This was a condition that would have affected, like I said, everything about her. Now, how she heard about Jesus, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. The stories of his miracles and his healings may have been passed around the community. She'd heard these things. But she'd heard enough to be convinced that he was a good guy. So it's kind of an act of desperation, if you will, that she would actually venture out into public and get into this crowd. And there was kind of a rekindling of hope in her life that if she could just touch the clothes of Jesus, she'd be healed. Now, I got to tell you, this isn't just ordinary hope. This is bold hope right here. It's a courageous step this woman is making. She, she got through the large crowd, reached out, touched him, and received her healing. But then something unthinkable happens. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, I got this picture of Jesus. There's a crowd all around him. It's like, Everybody's touching you, Jesus. I mean, the disciples are like, come on, come on, Jesus, give us a break. I just bumped into you myself. Uh, but who touched me? Now, they just, the disciples like, don't worry about it. You've been probably been touched by a whole bunch of people. And they ignored his comment. But it says in verse 32 of this chapter, but Jesus kept looking around to see who it was that touched him. Can you, Jesus like, looking into the crowd and everything like that. 
Now, we have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us that for the next 47 minutes, Jesus looked around. We have no idea how long he took me. But he just stood there looking around because this woman must have seemed an eternity. For the woman, it must have seemed like an eternity. And she must have been absolutely terrified that she's going to get pointed out in public. But finally, she realizes that she will either have to be found out or she's going to have to confess um, so she falls down in front of Jesus and admits that she, what she had done. And Jesus says to her very kindly, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is our God, friends. On exhibit, this is exhibit A of our God. That's his character. I mean, Jesus is worthy. Uh, he was and still is God with us. He was like, once Emmanuel, always Emmanuel. Uh, he fulfilled Israel's hope for the Messiah when he arrived that first Christmas. He fulfilled humanity's hopes for victory over death when he resurrected the first Easter. And one day he's going to ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all of creation. And I believe it or not, one prayer I often pray before I start preaching is, if you want to end it now, it would be a good time. <laughs> right before the sermon. Uh, this is the promise he left with us. Uh, and so it's a promise that he gave to his disciples way at the end of, of Matthew when he says, uh, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's a promise kind of worthy of our hope because God is true to his character. We can take hope in him. Now, this is the last, the third and last thing. Hope is based on God's witness. This is where you and I come into the story. See, we can find and choose hope by focusing on our own personal witness of God's faithfulness. Now, this would be a good question for talkback time later. Jeff, how has God worked in your life? Maybe this is a day for testimony time. I don't know. What are the moments and the memories when you experienced God's help in the past? Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was years ago. But you experienced God's faithfulness somewhere along the line. Either way, it was a time in your life when you knew without a doubt, without a doubt, that the presence of God's Spirit was in you. I'll give you an example. I'm in eighth grade. Um, Christmas pageant. Um, we held it at uh, Seward High School, public high school. They had a big gym and a huge stage. And when it was all over, I don't remember anything about the program. I don't remember we saying anything, but I walked outside and I stood there. And I looked up and it was lightly snowing and I saw one star in the sky. And I said, wow, this is real. That's what the Christmas story did. This is real. I mean, an eighth grader. I mean, I was 12 or 13 years old and this is real. Now, you all got stories like that. We spent a lot of time talking about those stories. See, gratitude uh, breeds hope. Uh, thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation brings hope. I'm going to read it to you from Jeremiah. This is Lamentations chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions. I love that word, compassions. Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, Jeremiah understood that there's hope in the future when we remember what God's done in the past. Uh, he knew that hope uh, sparks a fire. Uh, hope 
flows like a like water. It grows like a seed. It see hope grows and it spreads like a living thing. But yet we have to acknowledge that hope can also dwindle and die. But with nurture and care, you can revive it. It can flourish, multiply. Uh, focusing on gratitude and gratitude for what God's given us, it renews our hope. Uh, recognizing and appreciating the good things that God has done for us increases our hope and what he's going to do in the future. Now, sharing this gratitude and hope with other people can also multiply its effects. When was the last time you told somebody else what a great thing God did for you? I have a feeling if you shared something like that with somebody, I don't care whether they were a believer or not. You remember what their reaction was? Now, sometimes it's like, wow, God did that for you? As if, like, what do you mean, for, just for me? <laughs> he did that for you. Wow, yeah. I said, you know, you may follow up to say, well, can you ever think of a time when God did something pretty amazing in your life? And so what happens is hope begins to spread. It begins to spread. It flows like water. See, we nurture this living hope in us. It sustains us through the darkest days and allows God to continue to move. Now, in five weeks, uh, we're going to celebrate Christmas. Now, we've lit an Advent candle today. There will be a Christmas tree up here, God willing, next Sunday. And in Christmas, Christmas Day, which happens to fall on a Sunday, I have no idea who will be here, but Jeff said, count him in. Uh, he's going to be, and I'm assuming Cheryl will come with him, and I'm sure Nancy will. So they'll, they'll at least be, and then Anthony, uh, we, who knows how many people, okay, okay, we're already up to five or six people. Okay, we're, we're building for the future, that's all I'm saying. Uh, but the next time he comes, guess what? He's not, he's, unless he comes at Christmas this year, he's not going to come as a baby. The next time he comes, he comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we don't know what day that's going to be. But we do know that it's sooner than it was yesterday. It's sooner than the time you woke up this morning. See, one day Jesus is going to come and take us home. We know that one way or the other. The devil is going to be destroyed. Our current history will be replaced with eternity. Uh, we're going to be made new. Uh, I mean, all the parts are going to work again. <laughs> and never again will there be death. Uh, never again will there be mourning. Never again will there be uh, crying, no more pain. See, by God's grace, he's going to accomplish all of that. See, the return of the king is certain, even if the timing of the return is unknown. But we have hope. We have hope. And his name is Jesus.